Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon features Bible teacher Dan Slagle and was recorded on Sunday, September 18th, 2022. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. And you can also follow us on Instagram at, at FaithBridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday online for FaithBridge Live at faithbridge.org live. Here's Dan. Well, good morning. Welcome to FaithBridge. It's good to see all of you, whether you're coming to us online from our communion service or if you're here in the live service. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. We're continuing on in our year-long series, taking a look at the book of Luke. And today we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. If you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, put your finger there as a placeholder. We'll be getting to the passage in just a moment. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. Ushers are coming down the aisle. They'll be glad to give you one. If you don't own a Bible, please accept that as a gift from us to you. Luke chapter 14. Let me pray for us and we'll get underway. Heavenly Father, we find ourselves uh, once again so grateful to be here in your house, lifting up praises to your Son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and doing so in the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for pouring your Spirit out upon us. May our hearts be receptive to that Spirit. And we pray that your Spirit would do just as you promised, to come and be our teacher and to guide us into all truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So have you ever been at a a meeting or perhaps a social event of some kind where someone says something so incredibly awkward, I mean, borderline inappropriate that all conversation just comes to a screeching halt? In fact, you, you find yourself like, did they really just say that? And the, the, the ticking seconds almost feel like hours as everybody looks down at their shoes, you know, hoping, gosh, somebody say something, please. Why, why can't I come up with something to say, to, anything to break the tension here? Yeah, you, most of us have, have been there at one time or another. And you know what, it, it occurs to me that for some people, the, the ability to do this, it's almost like it's their spiritual gift. So good at it. But I, you know, I, I would be disinclined to, to put those kind of people down too much because they're actually in pretty good company. Because Jesus could do this very thing like nobody else. I mean, you want to bring a party to a screeching halt, invite Jesus to come on in. That's exactly what he does in the story that we're going to read here in just a few moments. Uh, Let me set the stage for you. So Jesus has been invited to a party in the home of a Pharisee. Pharisees, as you may know, were the religious leaders of the day. And to get an invitation to a party in their home was really a big deal. I mean, your, your average Joe would have been thrilled to have this opportunity because they weren't only religious leaders. They, they had political power. They were social influencers. They, they knew how to get things done. They knew all the right people. And, and so to come to a party at their house was sort of like, you know, well, hey, maybe I've arrived. You know, I'm going to get to uh, rub elbows with the elite here, network some, maybe... Make a few deals along the way, schmooze, those kind of things that you do at a party. But above all, the Pharisees prided themselves on being among the righteous. If anybody qualified as as the righteous, 
certainly within the kingdom of God, Pharisees were at the top of the list. Jesus was invited to this party, and my, my guess would be it wasn't because anybody thought he was an elite, but probably thinking he would provide the evening entertainment. The, the word had gotten out by now that this guy was a miracle performer, and nobody really knew too much about him, so everybody's sort of anxious to see. And uh, Jesus does not disappoint, because uh, at some point in the dinner, Jesus stands and uh, you know, dings his glass, ding, 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 gets everybody's attention. And then he turns and looks right at the host. He doesn't speak to just everyone who's attendance. No, he, he looks right at the man who's putting this whole thing on, who's paying for the whole thing. And in verse 12, we read, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Boom! Can you imagine the silence that must have fallen on that group and how uncomfortable that host must have felt? Because in essence, Jesus was saying to him, look, bro, you don't know how to put on a party. You, you call yourself the righteous? You think this is how the righteous put on a party? No. You've invited people who are on your level, who, who can pay you back for the generosity that you're showing. The righteous are marked by compassion and mercy for those who can't repay, for those who are on the margins of society, for the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind, these people that can never hope in a million years to pay you back. True righteousness is having a heart for those kind of people. Well, one fellow there at the party uh, feeling probably like most of us would, decided, okay, somebody's got to say something here to, to, to break the tension. And in uh, verse 15, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. In other words, well, <laughs> now that you mention it, Jesus, you know, aren't we all glad to already be among the righteous here, I mean, really, won't it be a great day when all of us get together and have that feast with God and so on? And uh, Jesus is having none of it. Jesus basically looks at this guy and says, oh, oh, oh yeah, you're, you're still convinced that you're among the righteous. Well, uh, let me tell you a little story. Beginning in verse 16, Jesus tells a parable. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. So far, the best excuse of the bunch. 
The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now, it can be difficult for our 21st century ears to get the full import of what Jesus is saying here. He's telling a parable, of course, and in a parable, the the, the various components of the parable uh, always point toward a greater reality. And in this this particular story, the, the owner of the home, the fellow who's putting on the party, is God. And the people who were initially invited to this party were the folks who were seated around Jesus, the religious leaders, or at least those who thought themselves among the righteous of the righteous. And God extends an invitation to them to come to his party, i.e., to come and be a part of his kingdom, a kingdom marked by compassion. A kingdom marked by mercy, a kingdom that has eyes for those on the margins of society, the poor, the outcast, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And while at first the invited guests indicated that, well, yeah, sure, I I can show up for that, when push came to shove, yeah, you know, I've got some other things to do. My priorities really are just a little bit different than getting involved in something like that with those kind of people. To which God says, okay, if that's the way you want it. If your priorities don't match mine, then I'm going to find people who do have priorities that match mine who do understand that to be righteous is not about position, it's not about wealth, it's not about influence. To be righteous, among other things, is about a heart of compassion, a heart of mercy, eyes that see suffering in the world. Now, it's easy for us, I think, to look at these characters, especially the Pharisees, they're sort of the, you know, the bogeymen of the New Testament, to look at them and say, well, you know, glad I'm not like that. I'm glad my, my heart is more in tune with the things of God than theirs was. But is it really? Is it really? You know, compassion is um, a tricky thing. I mean, we're, we're all for it. I'm, I'm certainly for it. I, I, I don't think I know anybody really who isn't for compassion, who isn't for mercy and kindness and, and care, especially for those who are, are less fortunate. We applaud it. We lift it up as a value. We, we uh, honor those who demonstrate compassion. And by golly, one of these days when 
things settle down, I, I'm going to do something about it. The problem for most of us is, though, things just don't get around to settling down. We, we stand up and cheer, but, hey, well, come on into the party. Ah, well, you know, I'm a busy guy. Got a lot going on in my life. Got responsibilities. Got things I've got to do. Been thinking about that a lot this week. You know, wh- why is it that those of us who live in the wealthiest, most comfortable nation, not, not only on earth, but in the history of the world, why is it that we find it difficult to get around to doing compassionate things. We applaud it, we value it, we lift it up, but what, what about the action? Why, why doesn't that happen? I came across a, an interesting theory. I, I think it's spot on. I'm, in, I'm indebted to Pastor John Ortberg for opening my eyes to this theory And it has to do with our capacity for self-deception. Self-deception. You know, nobody can lie to you and me like you and me. We can convince ourselves of most anything. And we we watch a, a, a video or a commercial about Habitat for Humanity. You know, we see people, you know, pounding those nails and lifting those walls, and, and we think to ourselves, that, that's awesome, man, I, I am all for that. And, 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 the, and these great feelings of compassion arise within us, you know. Or a, a commercial comes on about the poor. And our heart aches, and we think, you know, I'm, I'm really not like other people. I mean, my heart really hurts about those kinds of things. I mean, I'm the kind of person, even when, you know, the commercials for abandoned animals come on, I don't change the channel. I I watch the whole thing. And we begin to think that because we have compassionate feelings, that we're actually doing compassionate things. That we really are genuinely a compassionate person because we, we feel it. But in the kingdom of God, the, the, the gauge for compassion is not how we feel, it's what we do. At the end of the day, what are we actually doing? And so the question becomes, how, how do we make the shift? How do we move from being people who just have the strong feelings to actually get around to, to doing something? In my experience, it comes down um, to this. Stepping over this, this line, it's, it's a different line for, for all of us, but stepping over a line and coming into a place where compassion is no longer theoretical, but you're dealing with a real person. Not on the screen, not in a story somebody's told us, but no, it's, it's face to face. There's a human being right there 
Perhaps we've even gotten to know their name. That's when the transformation begins to occur. It's what happened for me. Gosh, it's probably been close to 15 years ago now. We were still worshiping in, in Cleb Intermediate School. I don't even remember what the sermon was, you know. I'm, I'm sure Pastor Ken preached it because it was really a great one. And... <laughs> well, whoever preached it, you know, it, it, it gave me those compassionate feelings that day. And I, I remembered kind of feeling good about the fact that I had compassionate feelings. And in my quiet time, the next day, God confronted me on this. Like, well, okay, good, Dan, you, you feel, but what have you done? Like, well, Lord, I'm, I'm a pastor. Like, yeah, yeah, you, you get paid for that. What have you done out of the goodness of your heart, out of deep compassion based in love? And I was having a hard time coming up with an answer. And it was that experience that prompted me to go on my first mission trip ever. As it turned out, this particular trip was to the nation of Botswana in southern Africa. And one day we were visiting a, a local village. And I noticed about 50 yards or so outside of the village proper, there was a, a little mud hut, probably about 10 by 10 little hole in the top of it where a spiral of smoke was coming out. And I, I asked our host, I said, what's, what's that over there? And he said, oh, you know, uh, AIDS is a scourge here. There's not a lot of understanding about what it is, and there's a lot of shame related to it. And when it becomes apparent that that's what someone is dealing with, they are literally made an outcast. And so we went over to that hut. It was a bright, shiny day. And as we leaned over, pulled back this little rag curtain to go inside, it took a moment for my eyes to adjust because it was dark and there was smoke from a little bitty fire there. And lying on the ground was only what I could describe as skin and bones. A man who was nearing death, no doubt, could no longer care for it, certainly not feed himself, not clean himself, could barely speak. And as we knelt down and did what we could do for this man, which at this point was not a lot, but we did what we could, It came clear for me. And God said to me, Dan, this man doesn't care about your feelings. He doesn't need your feelings. He needs to know what you can do. Change the course of my life. But here's the thing, you know, not everybody can go on a mission trip. I understand that. Not everybody needs to go on one. Friends, there is plenty, plenty of suffering and poverty and pain right here in Houston, Texas. We don't have to go too far to find it. 
Matter of fact, one of our partner ministries, uh, Bridging for Tomorrow, creates opportunities for us to move from feeling to doing. And the director of that ministry, Christy Sprague, um, has her own story about compassion. Take a look at the screen, hear her story. I'm Christy Sprague, and I'm the executive director at Bridging for Tomorrow. Uh, We are a local nonprofit just a few miles down the road from Faithbridge, and we support and resource primarily low-income families that uh, attend Klein schools south of 1960. I've been at Bridging for Tomorrow since 2014, and um, my journey to getting there really began back in my childhood. My family struggled a a lot um, in my childhood, uh, particularly so in the early years. My father had a dependency on drugs and alcohol, and what that meant for my family life was unreliability and chaos and sometimes abuse. My mom essentially was a single mom. And in those days, in the late 60s and early 70s, um, there wasn't a lot of opportunity, even for a hardworking uh, young woman in her 20s trying to support a family. So we struggled. We were always behind on bills. We rarely had much in our home to eat. And it was hard. It was hard for my mom and it was hard for us as kids. It wasn't until I was an adult that I realized just how much we were in survival mode and what those years, um, how hard they were for my mom in particular. I think we often feel connected to someone's story because some piece of it mirrors our own. And that's what eventually led me to Bridging for Tomorrow. We encounter families every week who are facing some similar struggles to the ones I grew up with without having somebody else step in and say, we see you, we know what you're going through, we understand and we wanna help. Things in those families' lives might not change. I so often wish I could turn back the clock and that my mom had that, that our family had that. I can't even imagine how how much that could have changed our trajectory. Um, We have a beautiful story as it is, but uh, I wish that there hadn't been so much pain and struggle along the way for us to reach where we are today. The more you spend thinking about your journey, the more you can see the similarities to someone else's journey. And trust me, (laughs) even though things feel very isolated at times and we might live in our own little world, There are so many people out there just yearning for someone to make a connection and to walk alongside them. It's so important to recognize and believe that love is an action word. It's not enough to hear someone's story and feel compassion for them or feel bad for their situation. Things happen when you step out in love and faith and you actually do something, you show up for someone. You're not gonna regret it. And it's even the small things that really do make a difference in the life of someone else. So 
wherever your passion is, wherever your, your heart is being tugged, that's a great place to start. So I would, I would encourage, if you're feeling anything at all, um, start there. Start with your own story and see where it might intersect with someone else that you encounter today. I think it's the most beautiful picture of what God intended for us as a church um, and as a body of believers. You know, I, I have such a deep admiration for Christy. Um, it, it would have been easy for her when she became an adult to have um, allowed her heart to become embittered about her childhood or just experience this sense of relief, like, whew, glad that's over and, and, and run the opposite direction, but she didn't. She was willing to, to step right back into it. She was willing to step over that line that was her pathway. God has a pathway for all of us toward serving, toward compassion, toward becoming the kind of person that he's called us to be. And as Christ followers, we have the greatest motive in the world to do so. We don't serve others and show compassion because it, it, it makes us feel better or because we're trying to get brownie points with God or anything like that. No, we, we serve with compassion because we have been shown compassion. Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were in the worst sort of poverty imaginable, eternal spiritual poverty our Father reached out to us. It was a mess of our own making. We all decided to go our own way, to live life on our own, to sin. But our Father didn't reject us. He moved toward us and offered us life and hope. And as a response to that, carrying with us the knowledge that, yes, I have been shown compassion, therefore I will show compassion. What greater motive could there be? One of the things I've always loved about Faith Bridge Church is that we have prioritized serving and not just here on a Sunday morning but going outside these walls stepping over a line and not just feeling good about a video but then moving toward action. And my challenge for you today, not Jesus' challenge for you today, based on his word, is to do that very thing. And Bridging for Tomorrow would be a terrific place to start. We've got a, a QR code that can tell you everything you want to know about Bridging for Tomorrow. And if you don't get enough information there, Christy and some of her team are out in the atrium, the West Atrium. And I would encourage you to step out there and speak with her about opportunities they have wherever it is that God leads you. I believe with all of my heart that every one of us have been invited to God's party. Not to come and be blessed, but to be a blessing. Join me in praying right now that God might give us ears to hear 
and eyes to see where he is leading us. Won't you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this story preserved for us in the Gospel of Luke that reminds us what's important to you. Because we are so capable of getting it mixed up and establishing priorities that are nowhere on your radar. God, won't you move within us this morning and prompt us to get beyond whatever feelings we may have and have the courage and the willingness to be obedient and step into doing in the place you've called us to serve. And we will give you thanks, Lord, for the compassion you've shown us and for the privilege we have to show compassion to others. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.